Welcome back. And picking up from last week, we uh, were looking at the very topic of gospel government. And a summary from last week was that the Democrats, nor the Republicans, nor the Socialists, nor anyone in between all of those is going to save our world. But it would be nothing less than God becoming a human being, being born into our world through the person of Jesus Christ, and living a perfect life, dying on a cross for our redemption, rising from the dead, and actually in the future returning to this physical earth that he created to bring about peace, world peace. That's how we ended last week's sermon. You can go back and find it uh, here on our YouTube channel. And so that is how we pick up this week. Uh, Here just after Christmas, December 27th, as we gather here on this Sunday, we want to ask the question, how is it that God wins? How is it that he's going to do it? And the answer that we're going to see today is it's through humility. And so the title of today's sermon is Imitating Christ's Humility. That's the invitation for you and for me and for all peoples around the world is to imitate Christ's humility. Now, as we've been comparing the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God throughout this entire sermon series, which we're in right now that we're calling King and Kingdom, the kingdom of this world teaches that our success is in our impressiveness, our success is, is in our big dealness, and we want as much as possible to let everyone know how powerful we, powerful we are so that we can put them in their place. And the kingdom of God, Jesus is modeling that our success is in being humble. And so we know that the world steps on the humble. We know that the world wants to Uh, kick the humble and toss them aside like garbage. But it's God who lifts up the humble. God exalts the humble. And so today in our Bible text, we're going to be invited how to end 2020 and how to begin 2021. Yeah, you and I both may be coming to the end of this year with a lot of grief or sadness or despair or even downright anger, ready to just take the memories of 2020 and just send them right through the shredder. Or we may be about to head right into 2020 with uh, a lot of the same emotions or even a lot more self-reliance and independence. And the biblical text that we're looking at today invites us to something so much more successful so much more productive, and that is humility. Well, let's read this classic text here on imitating Christ's humility, found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I'll give you a second to find it. It's in our worship liturgy, uh, which is you can find through the QR code here on the YouTube screen. This is how the passage reads. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection 
and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, as we get into this topic of humility, we are going to look at two main things today, and that is the resource for humility. And secondly, we're going to look at the relational dynamics of humility. Right, so we're going to take up this first one here, the resource for humility. Where, where in the world are you going to go and find some humility? And for the Christian, the resource for humility is that King Jesus, who is God's representative, is living inside of you. He's inside your heart, he's inside your soul, and as we just read in this passage, he's inside your mind. So for the Christian, you have a different source and resource for your humility. And so it is inviting King Jesus to bring things in your life into alignment with and how King Jesus wants those things to be in alignment, things that are misaligned. The Christian says, I have no righteousness of my own. I have no humility of my own. Lord, save me. Lord, King Jesus, lead me. Lord, King Jesus, give me humility. Continue to lead me forward. And so to follow Jesus is not to say, yeah, I'm interested in Jesus. I'm interested in Jesus. And you know what? Hey, Jesus, if, if, uh, if, if you want to, Jesus, you can just go ahead and tell me what your future plans are for me in my life. And you know what? If I look at those plans and I, I seem to like what you've plan for me, then I'll follow you. Then I'll trust you. That is is not what being a Christian means. In fact, that definition that we just gave is the definition of pride and self-reliance. Humility says to King Jesus, yes, Lord, and follows King Jesus, not knowing what the future is going to bring. Not knowing everything in advance. That's what's called trusting God in humble reliance. 
See, this is a different resource that we have. And so I have to say here at this point that one of our barriers to humility, at least in San Francisco, one of our barriers to humility is our self-reliance. It's our independence. It's our success. It's that we're so good at what we do. We're very talented. This is one of our local religions here. We're very good at it. It's not Christianity. Bill Gates, there's a quote by Bill Gates where he says, success is a lousy teacher. It seduces even smart people to think they can't lose. Verse five is in our passage here is gonna tell us the resource for humility. Can, can you guess what that resource is? Can you, get, can you guess what the resource for humility is? Look, look at verse five here. And by the way, humility is not something that you can buy. You may be buying your way through life. You may be bullying your way through life or networking your way through life. But when it comes to humility, that is not how you attain humility. Verse, verse five says that the resource for humility it is already inside of you. Look in verse five here. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here's the good news in this passage and the hope that you hear and receive today is that humility comes to you as a Christian because Christ is living inside of you. Christ's very mind lives inside of you so that you as a Christian, the more you grow in Christ, you have the mind of Christ. Now look at verse five. It doesn't say look at the mind of Christ, but it says let the mind of Christ be inside of you. That's because God would never be willing to show you his inmost thoughts so that you could say, I saw it. I saw the mind of Christ. But the Bible shows us the mind of Christ to transform your mind and to change the way you act in the world. That's why we're being shown the inmost part of Christ's mind here in this passage. Let's get into the mind of Christ. Look at verses six through eight. Let's read it. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as we get into the mind of Jesus, we see the divinity of Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus knew that he was God. Jesus made this audacious claim that he was God, not because he was a liar, not because he was a lunatic, but because he was God. He actually believed it. He knew it. Verse 6 says that Jesus was in the form of God. This English word form is, or actually comes from the Greek word morphe. And the Greek word morphe does not mean an outward appearance. So Jesus had this only an outward appearance of God. But the word morphe means that Jesus' very 
inward nature. His very essence was the same as God. Jesus is and has the very being of God. Verse 6, Jesus didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Grasp means to hold on to. And so it means that Jesus was equal with God and yet he didn't hold on to it. See, this, this is right where some people object to Christianity. There's a thinking about Jesus. You know, he, hey, he was a wonderful teacher. No, no question. Wonderful teacher, amazing prophet. He, he was a person of peace and love and generosity and acceptance. But you know, the stories of Jesus, the, the more generationally distant those stories have gotten and more geographically distant these events have gotten from the original site, it must have been the followers of this world religion that must have just embellished this story a little bit and actually attributed divinity to Jesus. That's one of the key objections to Christianity. I'm thinking about my own conversion, and I remember a few key people in my life at that time that led me to a new relationship with God through Jesus when I became a Christian. And I I remember a few key books that was very influential in my spiritual formation. And they continue to be so. Uh, One of those books is called Basic Christianity by John Stott. And in that book, he says, if you read the Bible, no one who met Jesus had a moderate view of Jesus. No, No one's viewing him moderately. They either hated Jesus and they wanted to kill him, they were afraid of him and they tried to run away from him, or they were smitten by him and they gave their lives to him. But nobody ever had a moderate reaction to Jesus. What do you think about that quote? Wouldn't you agree that there's perhaps a lot of people in our world that may say, you know, Jesus is, Jesus is, is, is okay. Uh, I'm okay with Jesus. And the Bible's whole point, the Bible's story is, you can't just like Jesus. You can't just be ambivalent towards or, or moderately involved with Jesus when you think about his divinity. When you think about the divinity of Jesus, how should this affect your mind? Remember, just a second ago, we were reading this, uh, verse 5, that says, have this mind in yourselves. See, Jesus' inmost mind is being revealed to us here to transform your mind. Your mind needs to be impacted by this divinity of Jesus. And here's how, that if you look at yourself and you say, you know what, uh, sort of cynically, nothing great is going to happen in my life. The cards are stacked up against me. I'll never change, or the system's never going to change. And the passage here today for you and for me and for those of us who are listening, the passage is saying, since Jesus is God, you need to get more optimistic about your future. If Jesus Christ has come into your life, why are you so pessimistic about your future? Yes, Jesus Christ was a loving teacher, a compassionate person. 
Jesus Christ is a miracle worker. Jesus is God. And remember that passage in Romans chapter 8. You should go back and refresh your memory where the writer there, the same writer of this passage today, is saying that he's not afraid of death. He's not afraid of suffering. He's, he's not afraid of nakedness or danger or even life itself. Things present or things to come. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And as we get into this mind of Christ, we not only see the divinity of Jesus, but we see the humanity of Jesus. Look in verse 6. Verse 6 does not say, having been God, he instead became human. And again, that's what some people who object to Christianity think that this text says, is that Jesus... um, who maybe was God, he, he, he sort of had to uh, lay down that um, being God, he had to lay that aside so that he could be human. And that is not what the Bible is teaching. In fact, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, In Jesus is all the fullness of God that dwells in his body. See, no other religion, no other world religion has the audacity to say that. Verse 7 here in our passage, that Jesus took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now again, all world religions, uh, most philosophies cannot stomach the idea that the biblical God is divine and human at the same time. Our God is the only God among all world religions to whom matter matters. See, the biblical God not only cares about your soul and the salvation of your soul and the nations, and this same God is a God who cares about the physical world that God created. Now we know the West, we're reminded of the Greco-Roman religions thought that matter was impure, and therefore God could never become human. And so to think of God as becoming human uh, was ridiculous. And in the East, we, we know that they don't see the physical as impure, but they see physical as just an illusion, or maybe the physical is just a temporary thing that God could do. See, no other religion, no other religion, as you think about the mind of Christ and what this matters and how this matters to you, When it says, let the mind of Christ be in you, no other world religion says that God inhabited a human body permanently. God took into himself the physical. That changes everything. We are the only religion that knows that God does not think that the physical is more important than the spiritual nor is the spiritual more important than the physical. But both, the spiritual and the physical, are important to God. See, at Christmas, God, the divine, became human. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And then at Easter, that God redeemed a physical human body, the body of Christ, his own body. 
Look at one of the very first pictures in the Bible here that God has his hands in the mud. His hands are in the dirt and in the clay creating the world. And then the last picture of the Bible there in Revelation that God is cleaning up the natural universe. That when King Jesus returns to this earth, this natural universe, we see a God cleaning up the toxic waste of evil and sin and rehabbing it and restoring it like a new city. How should this affect your mind? Your mind needs to be impacted by this. And here's how, the gospel, only through the gospel, only through this biblical God can you keep the physical and the spiritual together. Other world religions force us to choose either or. And so Christians alone can can talk about evangelism and they can talk about salvation of the soul and talk about social justice and cleaning up the neighborhood and serving the poor and giving and serving those who are beaten down. And that heaven, heaven, we're, we're going to eat and drink We're going to have redeemed and restored physical bodies in heaven. We're going going to eat and drink. They're going to be singing. And it's going to be very physical and spiritual. The divinity of Jesus. The humanity of Jesus. The second thing we see in this text is the relational dynamics of humility. Again, seeing the attributes of Jesus here, the divinity And the humanity of Jesus isn't something that we should just look at and say, wow, or ooh, isn't that really beautiful of Jesus, or very powerful of Jesus. But having that mind of Christ inside of you is what transforms you. You begin to not only see Jesus differently, but you begin to see yourself differently. You begin to see others differently So for the Christian, as the mind of Christ grows more inside of you, right? As Christ is taking up more and more residency inside of you, living his life inside of you and through you, as that begins to happen, you're given new impulses and new instincts for how to relate to people. See, the greatest temptation that we face, perhaps, is moving out into this world to use others so that we could use them so that they meet our needs. That's one of the greatest temptations we have as human beings. Let let me go out into this world, either my job place or my family, and let me just use other people so that I can get what I need. And moving out to meet others' needs because you're really trying to meet your own needs. And that's because the mind of Christ isn't growing in you at that point. Or perhaps you don't have the mind of Christ. And by the way, if you don't have the mind of Christ, if you're not a Christian, this is a fantastic time. This is a fantastic time to admit that you need the mind of Christ. You need this humility that eventually wins that's not going to lose, that you need to be led by this King Jesus who is not a bully like all other leaders coming into your life, 
but who laid down his life for you in humility to give you human flourishing. Here's how you can tell if the mind of Christ is not growing in you. So sometimes we think, what if I'm humble in this situation? What if I help this person? And what if those people aren't even grateful? Here's how you know if the mind of Christ is not growing in you. Are, Are you constantly getting your feelings hurt? Are you constantly feeling snubbed? Are you constantly needing to be in control and controlling others, controlling how they act so that you can get them to act the way that you want them to? You have moved into their life to meet your own needs. And consequently, you're going to leave them feeling empty and you're going to be left feeling empty. Now, the Christian who has the mind of Christ and that mind of Christ and humility is growing inside of them. And trust me, it is a process. It is a lifelong process. What it looks like is in God's love, in God's love, they are moving out into the world to help others. The Christian, uh, for the Christian, this must be settled. This must be settled You know, do I really belong to a loving Heavenly Father? Do I? Am I totally accepted and forgiven by Christ? Am I? And is the Holy Spirit residing in me and having power and control in me? Is He? And for the Christian, the answer is yes. Verse three, let's look at verse three as it relates to relational dynamics of humility. Verse three says, in humility, that means having the mind of Christ as you interact with others, as you interact with others. In humility, it says, verse three says, count others more significant than yourselves. I want you to think about this. I want you to have the mind of Christ whenever you interact with others. You could simply ask yourself that question before you interact with someone. You could, you could ask yourself, how would Christ interact with this person? We may say to ourselves, oh boy, this person is so difficult, so challenging. But we need to be asking ourselves, how would Christ interact with this person? It would be through humility is the answer. Verse three here, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. It means cleaning the bathroom of your office even though you own the company. That's what humility looks like. It means a valedictorian credits her success to her parents and her professors. That shows humility. An athlete who credits his success to his teammates even though he has great skill. That shows humility. Verse 4, look at it with me. It says, look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. A Christian with the mind of Christ and the humility of Christ growing inside of them. They're not producing it by themselves. 
But as Christ grows inside of them and the mind of Christ is growing, humility is being produced. Verse 4 says that they look not only to their own interests, but to the interest of others. Christians are building relationships with everyone instead of gravitating towards people who are just like themselves, creating a clique, interested in the same things, yet not truly interested in other people. In C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he says, the worldly man treats certain people kindly because he likes them. The Christian trying to treat everyone kindly, finds him liking more and more people as he goes on, including people he could not even have imagined himself liking at the beginning. That's what it looks like as humility grows inside of you. Our passage ends here with saying that humility wins. Humility wins. Look at verse 8. Jesus humbled himself and dies on a cross. He dies on a cross. And we know the biblical story that says Jesus rose from the dead, asserting his victory and his triumph, not only over death, but over evil and over sin. Verse 9 in our passage shows us that God has highly exalted Christ and has bestowed on Christ the name that is above every name. Humility wins. The humility of Christ wins. Verse 10 and 11, every knee will bow to Jesus. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility wins. In closing, in closing, wherever, wherever you're coming from this morning, If you're a Christian, if you're a non-Christian, listen to this in closing. Because Jesus is God, because Jesus is God, he's able to save your soul and he's able to redeem and restore the physical world that he created. He's able to do both of those because of his divinity. And because Jesus is human, Oh, what good news that Jesus is human and that we celebrate the humanity. Yes, the divinity, but we also celebrate the humanity of Jesus here in the Christmas season. That he understands you and he knows what you're going through and you can go to him. Have you been betrayed? Jesus understands you. Have you been lonely. Jesus understands being lonely. Are you facing death? Jesus understands facing death. Have you had a prayer turned down? Jesus has been there too. See, the way up is the way down. King Jesus will make humility succeed. Let's pray right now. And we're going to use Jesus' model prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. It's in Matthew chapter 6 is where that prayer is recorded. And it's for all disciples of Jesus, all followers of Jesus around the globe, around the world who are following this King Jesus. 
And we're going to pray this prayer. And in this prayer, it's praying that his kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. Why don't we pray this prayer aloud together? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.